0: I gotta wipe my palms on my jeans. God. Ashley and I bonded over sweaty palms yesterday, so I'm not (laughs) the only one who suffers from this.
1: Hello and welcome to Jesuitical, a new podcast from the majestically young, episodically hip, and fearlessly lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Olga Segura. Hey guys, and where's
0: Zach? Right? Oh my God! I just noticed he's not here. Um, I thought he's been here all this week. Just, just kidding.
1: Zach is in Peru, mm-hmm. hiking Machu Picchu. Yeah,
0: much deserved vacation. Not at all. We got to enjoy him like breaking in his hiking boots last week so <laughs> he just came to the office in these <laughs> boots uh so we miss him and we his miss boots. him already um but he's having fun and yeah. he'll be
1: back next week yeah all right so i guess i have to ask you what's on tap olga so
0: today we're actually drinking a recommendation from kevin Ahern. so it's one ounce saint germain two ounces of bullet bourbon Three dashes of bitters for Trinity, adds a squeeze of some lemon for the bitterness of sin mixed with ice. Um, and he invented this in honor of the church in Paris called, and be forewarned, I will be butchering this called Saint Germain des Pres. Um which is Desprez? near Des Desprez. Yeah, yeah, Desprez? that's right. <laughs> that sounds right. Um but I think we should just call it the Kevin Ahern. It just seems yeah. easier than Trying, <laughs> <laughs> this, trying to pronounce this
1: French that
0: neither of us seem to uh, know how to do. And our producer yeah. keeps shaking her head at us. So it's cool. Well, cheers. Oh, that's good. That's really good. I just inhaled a bunch of mint, but it's still delicious. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Who's our guest this week, Olga?
0: So today we're talking with Claire Swinarski, who is a former Focus missionary and a freelance writer and is the host of the Catholic Feminist podcast. Yeah, um, a great podcast. Yeah, it's really it's really focused on kind of um, presenting issues and talking with people um, who consider themselves feminists who are Catholic. Um and it presents a feminist lens, and it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And she talks to women of—she's talked to a nun who is a former alcoholic—who was a former alcoholic and now has been a nun. Mm-hmm. Um, and as people who are also new to the podcasting world, it's really cool to see um, a fellow Catholic woman doing the same thing. Yeah. I mean,
1: so would you consider yourself a Catholic feminist or a feminist? Just um, plain and simple. I would.
0: I would—well, I would consider myself a womanist, which kind of falls under the— What does that mean? So it's kind of like— it was it's a response to like all the issues that existed with like the second wave of feminism which is like you know Betty Friedan The Feminine Mystique, which was very... Wait, what was
1: the first wave? (laughs) Slow down, (laughs) Olga.
0: All right, Ashley. Well, the first wave was, you know, women fighting for the right to vote and all of those issues. so like
1: the the suffragists. Exactly. Back in like the nineteen. So the second wave was like the 60s,
0: 70s with the sexual revolution, women wanting to be outside of the home, not just be Mm -hmm. wives. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I was introduced to it, I read The Feminine Mystique, which is how everyone sort of finds their feminist awakening. But I realized, okay... None of these issues are these women look like me. So then I, hmm. of course, Twitter helped me find women, and like, that's because they're they
1: were mostly white and rich.
0: Yeah, it was very well not just rich, but mostly white American women yeah. who th- wanted to leave the home. Where like for women of color, it was like okay, we are have always been working since we came to this country. So that doesn't that feminism doesn't hmm. really speak to us. So Alice Walker actually coined the term "womenist." in 1983. She's the author who wrote The Color Purple. And it just more fully embodies the experiences of black women and other women from marginalized groups. So it's pretty cool. And it's just pro equality, pro women's culture. So it's a label I'm very comfortable with. But as a 27 year old, I did not know all of this like five (laughs) years ago. So shout out to Twitter for introducing me to this. Nice.
1: What about you? Yeah. Well, I did not read the feminine mystique. uh, So maybe that's why I have a more ambivalent relationship with the term feminist i've mm-hmm. never like not that i've been like interviewed like emma watson or someone right, <laughs> right. forced to like take the claim or, or mm-hmm. take the label or not um but i don't think i've ever like said out loud i'm a feminist and mm-hmm. it's because i i grew up in a world where my mom was in charge, and I had every opportunity, and I didn't feel like I was being held back. But then at the same time, I also feel like I know enough about history to know that it wasn't always that way. So I do feel some like sense of gratitude for mm-hmm. the feminists who came before, people who do call themselves feminists right. who came before me who made that possible. But So, yeah, it's been a it's a I have a weird relationship with feminism, which is why I'm really excited to talk to Claire, because I think she'll have some insightful things to say Mm -hmm. about that. But first, it's time for Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. And first, Pope Francis is. Catching back up with President Trump in the Twitter sphere. Mm -hmm. Um, For a while, Pope Francis held the uh, title of most influential person on Twitter. He had the most followers, but then Trump overtook him. Most recent numbers... Pope Francis is like neck and neck with him just over, oh um, what is it, over 40 million viewers? Yeah, 40 million followers on Twitter. Yeah. So we've talked about the back mm-hmm. way, way back when we were just baby Jesuitical in episode five. <laughs> <laughs> we talked to Michael... O'Loughlin, mm-hmm. whose name I can definitely pronounce <laughs> on the first try, <laughs> the episode was is Pope Francis subtweeting Donald Trump, and we talked about the way the different ways that Pope Francis and Donald Trump right. use Twitter
0: because they’re very very different. One Pope Francis is super hopeful, and like you go to his timeline, and you’re just like, okay, I’m having a really crappy day, but I can get through this, no mm-hmm. problem. Then you go to Trump's, and it's like, "Oh my God, World War Three is about to break out, and this is the person who is leading this country i you know what I'm just not gonna I'm just gonna give yeah. up, so it, they're two very opposite, you know,
1: yeah, and I'm it seems like Pope Francis is getting more followers mm-hmm. as Trump's support is slowing down, so maybe mm-hmm. maybe that's a hopeful sign that like you He's know like, people <laughs> want
0: <laughs> some peace. kind of consolation right, <laughs> like they just want some hope in their social media feeds, yes. All right, what's next, Olga? So there's a photo going around um, that shows U2's Bono um, receiving the Eucharist at a Catholic mass in Colombia. Now, this is becoming such a big deal because while Bono is a practicing Christian, he I don't think he's a practicing Catholic.
1: Yeah, I um, guess there's no way we can know, but right. he's never like publicly said mm-hmm. he's a Catholic. So
0: as we know, there are very specific rules to how you can take the eucharist you know you have to be a practicing catholic you have to be in a state of grace um and like you said we don't know if bono's a practicing catholic so
1: yeah i'm i'm not gonna get too upset about this Mm i i my mom is catholic my dad is protestant Mm -hmm. and there are times when i wish he could come up to get communion with us and so if bono made an innocent mistake Mm -hmm. i'm not gonna flip out right right Speaking of a uh musicians breaking Catholic
0: rules. <laughs> mm-hmm. So apparently Nick Cannon was performing at a Catholic university called Georgian Court University in Which New is in New Jersey, not Georgia. Which is Georgia. in New Jersey, not Georgia, which we found out during prep. Um, and he signed a contract agreeing to um, specific terms for his performance and then officials at the school said that he actually violated these because he used vulgar and sexually explicit language, which the administration said is goes against their core values at the university. And in true 2017 Fashion instead of apologizing when the university asked him to, Nick Cannon tweeted, "I'm sorry that you guys don't believe in freedom of speech."
1: Yeah, so this goes back to like our favorite (laughs) hobby horse conversation of like what what does free speech mean on Mm -hmm. a Catholic campus where you're not protected by the First Amendment? Like the Catholic campus or the Catholic university can set the rules, Mm -hmm. and so this this is a hard story to talk about because like comedy is this weird place between like pure Mm -hmm. art and like political speech Mm -hmm. and at least in my mind where it's like you know are they gonna like tell students not to watch game of thrones because it has sexually explicit content right right is is that gonna be a rule on campus and it's like how heavily do you police art Mm -hmm. but is comedy more like art or is it more like having a politician Mm -hmm. come and talk about um issues in which case you have to consider are they you know advocating your values or not but i don't know i just come back to the fact that this is a university it's a place Mm -hmm. of learning these are adults they're not children right and if they can't if like their faith is so weak that like hearing a sex joke is gonna (laughs) ruin it then the university has bigger problems (laughs) (laughs) All right, so what's our next
0: story, Ashley? Well,
1: also related. And so you might think, oh, Nick Cannon at a Catholic university, no big deal. But what if it was Charles Koch, the Mm -hmm. boogeyman of the left, coming Mm. to Catholic University? Okay. Last week, the Catholic University uh, held a conference called Good Profit about how we can shape our, our public policy and our business environment in a way that, like, lifts up the nobility of pursuing profit as a way of improving mm-hmm. things. Uh, so both Charles Koch of the Koch brothers and Cardinal Peter Turkson, two people come from different angles. Um, mm-hmm. But they, the university has gotten some heat for this because, one, they've taken money from the Koch brothers mm-hmm. before, and two, other people see the idea that, Profit and free market capitalism is kind of in tension with Catholic social teaching. So is this an appropriate thing for Catholic University Mm -hmm. to be hosting? So I just like reflexively want to take the position of like, listen to the opposing view. Don't Mm -hmm. like don't assume the worst of them. Right, right. Charles Koch I I listened to this fascinating interview uh, that he did on the Freakonomics podcast mm-hmm. with Stephen Dubner where he just like told his life story told him he Charles Koch is a very private person so this is a rare interview mm-hmm. and he talks about what motivates him and he, right. he seems to genuinely believe that like the way to promote human flourishing is mm-hmm. to liberate people to you know be right. successful right, right. um and so I think there's a way – I you can – I disagree. I think probably most a lot of Catholics disagree mm-hmm. with that viewpoint. But I think we – like I said, like if Nick Cannon can come and mm-hmm. challenge your views on sexual ethics, then you can have a businessman come and challenge your views on um, business ethics and – you know, that's what universities are for.
0: Right, right. And it, I mean, I agree. They both have a right to speak at these schools and it's important to try to understand them. But I I do think it's OK to still question their motivations. Like, you know, we're talking about people who make money from the oil industry, which is, you know, goes against Catholic social teaching. So it's totally OK to question those motivations, you know?
1: Yeah, I just I feel like I, I agree with you that like he does hold values that um are against Catholic social teaching. And right. so the way the university did it is Cardinal Turkson spoke before Charles Koch and he laid out very forcefully Catholic teaching on the economy from Rerum Novarum in ni- or 1891 to mm-hmm. Pope Francis. Um, and he, you know, he quoted Pope Francis who said, like our current economic system tends to devour everything that gets in its way in the pursuit of increased profits. So (laughs) at a conference on Mm -hmm. good profits, there's this voice raising the point Mm -hmm. that we, right now, we pursue profits at the expense of the environment Mm -hmm. and workers Mm -hmm. and a lot of other things. So I think that context is important for understanding the university's decision.
0: All right. What's next, Olga? So because we can't go several episodes without talking about (laughs) none stuff, um, there is a new reality TV show coming out called bad habits holy orders and before i get into it i just want to say its tagline is see what happens when five party girls swap the club for the convent oh my god
1: mm-hmm. oh i wish zach was here to make non pun. <laughs> i know <laughs> i know he's gonna be so upset that
0: he didn't get the chance to but you know this is a four-part series and it features five girls who were told they were go- gonna go on a spiritual journey at a convent um but we're <laughs> yeah wait it's so it's like the real world but in a convent the real world but in a convent yeah and one of the sisters who's involved in it said that despite the experience being a roller coaster she felt that the program was ultimately going to be good for the church because it's an honest portrayal of religious life nice
1: i i really want to watch this (laughs) so
0: do i um i mean we're obsessed with nuns so we are sold already yeah um
1: and the brainchild of this mm-hmm. reality TV experiment was a restaurant. These same nuns started a pop-up restaurant called Nundos, a play on the Peri <laughs> Peri Chicken uh, restaurant Nando's, mm-hmm. um, where it's it's catered to millennials, right? Um, and the food is free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So say no more. Right. <laughs> I'll be there. <laughs> but free. But you have to give but, up your phone when you walk in. Yes. And actually talk to people. Yeah. You can't just be on Twitter and do, tweeting about like, the food soul you're eating. And building mm-hmm. activities with the nuns and other diners. Yeah. And I, I just love this idea so much. I might just go to England to do this. I know. I mean, not being on Twitter talking to nuns free food comfort food they comfort said it's gonna food. be like hmm. chicken noodle soup and apple pie oh sold sold get not not even sold just given away by nuns <laughs> i can't imagine anything better <laughs> <laughs>
0: So today we're excited to be speaking with Claire Swinarski, the host of the Catholic Feminist Podcast. Welcome to Jesuitical, Claire. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to be talking with you. So why did you start the Catholic Feminist Podcast?
2: I started the podcast because I was starting to see a real divide among women in the Catholic Church. You know, on one hand, I kind of saw these... Uber Catholics who were like wearing chapel veils and loving St. Therese <laughs> and going to Mass every single day. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, I saw these Catholics that were really passionate about social justice and serving the poor, but kind of thought that like the sacraments were optional. And then there was this huge group of women in the middle who like wanted to be devout Catholics, but also wanted Catholics to be at the forefront of women's rights and women's issues. And I felt like there just wasn't a place for those women on the internet or sometimes even in their faith communities. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of wanted to start a space where women could come together and talk about how to do better in the world, but within the Catholic Church while living out its teachings. Can you describe that space? Like, who do you try to bring into it? What
1: kind of questions are you exploring Uh, just for people who haven't heard the podcast
2: yeah, we talk about all kinds of things involving the Catholic Church, womanhood and any of its intersections. So it's a really wide variety of topics. We've had Abby Johnson on. She used to be a manager at a Planned Parenthood mm-hmm. and so she came on and talked about pro-life issues. And that's a great example of a guest because it was someone who Was really in it like it wasn't just someone writing think pieces about abortion it was someone who's had an abortion Mm -hmm, and someone who worked at Planned Parenthood and like believed in the good intentions of those women and isn't like a super angry yelling person on TV but is really (laughs) smart and knows what she's talking about. Um, We've also had people on like Audrey Assad, Lisa Cotter. And we just cover this really wide range of topics, anything um, social justice related, but also interfaith related. We've talked about prayer and sacraments. And our tagline is that we want women to be inspired, involved and intentional. So inspired to live out to be better saints, um, involved within their communities and living really intentional, faithful lives. So
0: what exactly does it mean to be a Catholic feminist? How, and how is that different from secular feminism?
2: Sure. It's like a really loaded word, right? You say feminist to some Catholics and they're like, oh my gosh, how could you be a feminist? Like, you must be pro-choice. You must love Hillary Clinton. Or like they come with this huge bag of ideas of what they think a feminist is. But Mm -hmm. we just think it's believing that women are of equal dignity to men. And that actually fits within the Catholic Church really, really well. The Catholic Church completely upholds the dignity of women. Anyone who's ever read John Paul II's Letter on the Dignity of Women knows that. Or whoever's read Edith Stein's writings, right? We -hmm. hold up these really amazing women. You know, we have women who are doctors of the church. Um, The Catholic Church totally embraces women as beautiful, important figures. And I think that's really important to pull out. Because if you're not familiar with the Catholic Church, or like, it's like that quote that's like, no one really hates the Catholic Church, but a lot of people hate what they think it is. Right. Like a lot of people who maybe aren't familiar with the church or who Mm -hmm. have had negative experiences within the church are going to see like, oh, so women can't be priests and Catholics don't believe in birth control. Okay, Mm -hmm. they hate women. Whereas if you really dive into these topics, you see that that's not the case at all. And then you've got secular feminism. And what I see them trying to say is that women aren't just of equal dignity. They're the exact same. Like, There's nothing that makes us different and i think that when you get into that you really lose the beauty and importance of what womanhood is. So to me, that's not really feminism, that's like a racing womanhood if that makes sense.
1: So so you talk about how the catholic church already, you know, does hold up the dignity of women and all people. Um so why why do you need the extra term of feminist if can't wouldn't just saying that you're catholic and, you know, cover all of your bases? Why do you have to have both? <laughs>
2: You know, you'd think, um, but that's like saying, shouldn't saying you're Catholic mean that you want to support the poor? (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) Um, But there's a lot of Catholics who don't (laughs) spend enough time thinking that, you know, you'd be like, oh, well, you're Catholic, so don't you love your enemies? There's a lot of Catholics who don't love their enemies, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And so you're right. Like, feminism should just be the central part of the church. But unfortunately, since we are imperfect humans and, um, you know, we're in imperfect parishes, Mm -hmm. so often that's what's lost. Because just because the church teaches something, also, that doesn't mean that's necessarily lived out. So yeah, the church says that women can be amazing leaders in their lay community. Mm -hmm. But if you're in a parish where the parish council is all men, that doesn't really mean crap to you, right? Um, And so I think it's about empowering women to be able to take their rightful place within the church.
0: I think it's interesting that you're unpacking these stereotypes about both feminists and Catholics because my personal experience when I was in high school I thought being a feminist was very very loaded and I thought that there was no way that you could that I would be able to like reconcile my Christianity and my feminism and it wasn't until like now that I'm 27 where I'm kind of like oh wait if I believe that God thinks I'm this beautiful good human being then that of course it informs my feminism so I think it took me a very long time to understand how those two those two aspects of my life could sort of
1: coexist together, you know? Yeah. Have you have you always considered yourself a feminist or did
2: you similarly evolve into it? I have definitely always considered myself one. That was mainly because I was raised by a super feminist mom who like took <laughs> me to go to the original home of the women's rights convention and took me to see where Susan B Anthony was buried and that was like really impressed upon me. And mm-hmm. I'm also from like a super Liberal city. I'm from Madison, Wisconsin, and anyone who's been there knows it's like hippieville. I never, <laughs> once in my life, heard that a woman couldn't do something ever. Right. Like I was never hit with that. Like my dad didn't even ever need to say you can do anything a boy can do because mm-hmm. that was just like right. obvious. Right. <laughs> what about so, said.
1: I I have a. I mean, I'm not from a. I'm from Arlington, which is kind of liberal, but I also have a, an experience of growing up and having a mom who was you know, the first woman to make partner in her accounting firm. And I never felt limited by the fact Mm -hmm. that I was a woman. And I so and that it kind of pushed me in the opposite direction. I kind of was like, why? Why do I need to be a feminist? Like, do you think it's okay for me or anyone to not identify as a feminist?
2: Heck, yeah. I mean, feminism is a word. That's what I'm always reminding people. Like, if you don't like the word, then don't use the word. Like, I think words are important, so I take a lot of pride in calling myself a feminist. But I think that if you really sit down and you take away these loaded terms and get to the heart of who people are and what they think, we agree on so much. Like, if you take the average person, not even woman, the average person— And said, hey, do you think that um, sexual assault on campus is bad and we should fight against it? Like, they're probably going to say, yes, I do. Do you think that women should get paid as much as men for doing the exact same job? They're probably going to say, yes, I do. Like, we agree on so many of these things. Um, And that's why I think it's important to just kind of see people as people and not necessarily put them in these boxes. So I think it's totally fine for someone to be like, I just don't like that word, but I still support women. Mm -hmm. So then do you do you think it's problematic
0: that there are so many groups within the overall feminist movement that have very different ideas about what to prioritize or even, you know, calling themselves very different things within that movement? Do you think that, I don't know, adds more tension to this movement?
2: You know, I don't know if I'd use the word problematic. I definitely would use the word tension. But I think when you have that many women involved, that many people in general, you're obviously going to have all of these differing opinions. And I mean, that's the same in the Catholic Church, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that there's always going to be that tension when you're dealing with that large group of people. Like, does it make me mad when people say that pro-life people can't be feminists? Oh it I wouldn't say mad but it gets me um fired up it yeah, makes it can, me want to teach them. <laughs> yeah, I, that's what I think one of the reasons that I struggle to
1: identify as a feminist is because it does in in I think just in the broader culture it connotes certain beliefs including being mm-hmm. um for abortion rights which I you know so I I don't want to identify with a group that has, has those beliefs. So how do you, how do you reconcile
2: that? I think it comes down to being open to conversation um I'm always really open to talking to pro-choice people and I know a lot of pro-choice people who are really open to talking to pro-life people I think we really can you introduce get
0: this- me to them <laughs>
2: Yeah. <laughs> well you know I get like tons and tons of emails from the podcast mm-hmm. right people with all kinds of opinions and yeah are there a lot of people who are just in their camp and they're just gonna yell at you and not listen to you no matter what yeah but you know what? it's not my job to convert every single person on this earth and convince them of certain things. It's just not like I have a sphere of influence that I'm working within. Um, I can't worry about every single human being, right I can only worry about the people who are open to conversation. So Claire, as a
0: Catholic feminist what what kind of change would you like to see in the church?
2: Um, I think that one of the most important things that I would like to see um, within the church and this isn't really like, from the church. I think the church is doing a great job. Like, I think Pope Francis is rocking it out. I think that church leadership is doing great. But like, on a parish level, I've seen in a lot of different parishes. um, Like, in my history, when I was a missionary, you know, you have mission, there's over 500 missionaries in focus. But, you Can know, you explain
1: you have- for people who don't know what focus is. Yeah,
2: sorry. Uh, Focus is the Fellowship of Catholic University Students. And so they put missionaries on college campuses all over the country um, with the main goal of evangelization. They're like starting Bible studies and raising up disciples and sharing the gospel. I was a Focus missionary for two years. And one of those years I was in Louisiana. And that's like a whole different country from Wisconsin. Like they don't eat the same food. They don't talk the same way. Like We don't think any of the same things. And that was one of the first places where I really was confronted with some really strong stereotypes about women that Mm -hmm. um, I really disagreed with. I have met people on multiple occasions who have straight up said to me, I would never let my wife work outside the home. And (laughs) that to me was like, oh my gosh, like how could you say Mm -hmm. such a crazy thing? And then I would look around and be like, oh, a lot of people think that that's completely normal. Mm -hmm. Um, Or I had an interaction with someone who was talking about how women shouldn't be team leaders because it's not biblical, um, which isn't true. (laughs) And so uh, like – getting those kind of attitudes, I think that's the kind of stuff we need to change. And we really need to empower women to speak up. Because often in those situations, I felt like I was the only one responding. Um, Like I would sometimes have another woman have my back. But a lot of times, um, when those kind of conversations arose, everyone would look to me, which is crap. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think that women really need to start standing up for themselves and um, making themselves known and just stepping up into leadership roles like Women are completely capable of having important roles in parish council or within parish activities more than just, like, those typical women roles that you think of, like, being in the choir or, like, running Mm -hmm. religious ed. Like, those Mm -hmm. things are great. um, But women can also be in more leadership roles as well.
1: I assume hosting a podcast you've been introduced to very different voices than than what you grew up with. Is there anything that you've learned through the people you've talked to that um, has changed how you – Uh, look at your faith or how you look at feminism?
2: I'd say a lot of it has just strengthened my faith. Um, Actually, this week, so tomorrow, I guess when this has aired, this will already aired. we have um, Dr. Elizabeth Lev on. She's an art historian, and she was talking about how the Sistine Chapel is like one of the most feminine works of art she's ever seen, or one of the most feminist works, because Michelangelo included all of these women um, from the Bible which was totally unheard of in his time and how there's just like women all over the Sistine Chapel even though women weren't even allowed to go in the chapel for like mm-hmm. hundreds of years <laughs> I thought that was like fascinating so I'm always learning from my guests
0: so one final question before we let you go if you could canonize anyone living or dead Catholic or non-Catholic who would it be?
2: can I pick someone who's like on the way to canonization there's not all the way there sure. of course of course <laughs> I love Dorothy Day. Okay. Um, I'm a new Dorothy Day person. Like I didn't know anything about her. And then this summer I read um, – oh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's really popular. It's, it's her biography and it's written by her granddaughter. Oh, yeah. I and mean, oh, it's yeah. The the World Will Be Saved by like, Beauty
1: by Kate Hennessey. Yes, yeah, by Yes.
2: <laughs> I loved that book so much and it helped me see her. And I think she's a really good example of not being in that box we were talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Because she, on the one hand, was super quote unquote – liberal, right? Super reaching out to the poor, having these Catholic worker houses. But I didn't realise till I read that she also got so much hate within her organization for being too religious. And like she went to mass every day and people thought that was like excessive. Um mm-hmm. and she loved the Eucharist and like she was just awesome and I just love any woman who like sees an issue and then just does the work and like goes and takes care of it like yeah I'm not just gonna worry about the poor I'm gonna go feed them like <laughs> I just think that's awesome so I was super inspired by that book so I really hope one day she is a saint
1: nice great and I'll make a shameless plug for America media's Catholic book club right now mm-hmm. which is discussing that book
2: yeah so, <laughs> you that's should awesome. check that
1: out there's a there's a Facebook page for it where you can go weigh in on on Kate Hennessy's mm-hmm. new book.
0: It's so good. Everyone needs to read it. <laughs> so thanks so much, Claire, and if people want to check out your podcast, it's The Catholic Feminist Podcast, wherever podcast you wherever you listen to your podcast, wherever you listen to go Google, listen to The Catholic Feminist Podcast. Yeah.
2: <laughs> thanks, Claire. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. Bye.
1: All right, now it's time for some listener feedback. First, we got a great email Mm -hmm. from Dan Foss. Um, So he listened to episode 32, in which we talked about, um, we sent out a poll about what people's least favorite hymn Mm -hmm. was. And the Gather hymnal got some hate, and Dan Foss grew up exclusively hearing songs from the gather hymnal so later in life his church friends had a running joke that quote the songs easily lent themselves to a theatrical production and that one could nay should write a musical using songs (laughs) exclusively from gather so he sent us uh the audio clips of the musical they wrote and it's Awesome. Yeah. It, it's <laughs> and pretty great. Once we get his permission, we'll we'll try to share this with you. <laughs> we'll so play it as next week's it. banter. Um, but no, he he describes it as a hyper-specific appreciation of catholicism, 80s 90s church hymns, which is like, you know, That's my Catholicism. (laughs) So I very much appreciated that. Um, And we had another Twitter poll this
0: week, right? We did. We asked all of our listeners, is Catholic feminism an oxymoron? And most of our listeners said no, that it is not, that they are Catholics. They are feminists. Um, Molly Daly wrote in, LOL, nope. It should be more of an affirmation redundancy, like saying wet water or Holy Mary. Hmm. Um, and then a knife wrote in. Um, wait, what? <laughs> wait, okay, okay, okay. So someone whose Twitter handle says a knife wrote in. Nope! Exclamation mark. Both focus on innate dignity of the human person and uplifting the most marginalized members of society. I'm
1: proudly both. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So we got mostly people who thought that Catholic feminism was a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do know, like personally, and from what I've read, that there mm-hmm. are people that do see it as a right. oxymoron. Um, and so I think it's really great that we have someone like Claire to mm-hmm. uh, show people that it is an option, um, and it's an option that you can explore by listening to her podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so thank you to everyone who responded to our Twitter
0: poll and who sent us. We get a lot of really great listener feedback via email, so this is just a reminder to
1: Keep sending those emails and yeah. keep reviewing us I, on iTunes. I can't do it every week. Like, I can't make the listener reviews my consolations mm-hmm. every week, but I wish I could. Because yeah. every time I read them, it is really mm-hmm. just like, okay, yeah, someone I share. is on the other side <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> no, I agree,
0: Ashley. Like, consolations and desolations, everything we do is not easy for us. Um, so knowing that you guys love it and when you review us and you write us in, we really do love it. So keep on doing it. Yes, thank you. Speaking
1: of consolations and desolations the part of our show where we talk about where we found god this week and where it was harder to what do you have olga
0: so i've got a consolation this week um i mentioned a few episodes back that i went to this barbecue um that was like a part of this community group that my boyfriend was thinking of joining um and then i went to their very first small group faith sharing um Mm -hmm. and i've never done anything like that um and Guys, it's literally like consolations and desolations, but with people who are 10 to 15 years older than us. (laughs) Um, And at first it was it was really terrifying, number one, because I'm like, oh, my God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to seem like this really awkward millennial who doesn't know how to talk about anything. Uh, But it was actually super consoling. And just seeing that even when we struggle to find God and to just find positive moments in our faith weekly, Seeing someone who's 45, who has a family, who's sending their kids off to college and talking about so fa- about their faith and their relationship with God so positively was really inspiring and really consoling. So even when, you know, weekly we struggle, seeing yeah. like myself reflected in adults was really nice and really.
1: Yeah, no, that's one of my favorite parts of working in America is like the intergenerational aspect mm-hmm. of it and being able to learn from
0: yeah. our elders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I know that not everyone is our age. Um, we have people from all age groups listening to us, and it's nice that they take comfort in us the way we take comfort in them. Yeah. What do you have, Ashley?
1: I both. <laughs> um, so I went home this weekend uh, after like a hard week at work, and I was really excited to see my parents. And I got in the car, and my mom tells me that one of our like beloved neighbors um, he's he was in the neighborhood when I grew up, um, had tragically died and it, he was, was running and hit by a car and just Oh my God, I'm killed. sorry to and hear he, that. He was older, but like he was still running 10 miles three times a week. Mm-hmm. And so it was definitely desolating to hear that news and just to be like, why? Um, but the response of my neighborhood, which like I've, I've talked about before, just like feeling I do come from a neighborhood that is so close-knit um, in a world that often that doesn't seem like a a primary value anymore. And just the response of the neighborhood was so consoling. Like, apparently he would he would walk the dog, and so the preschool at the elementary school next door would like they had a time when they went out to see Pop Pop, which Aww. was his grandpa name, mm-hmm. and go and like see him and the dog and so like on the the day after he died there was just a table at the corner of his house and mm-hmm. it was immediately just filled with vases of flowers from kids who had met him mm-hmm. and go to the elementary school um so just seeing there was how the community was able to take this senseless death mm-hmm. um and show that there is you know his influence lives mm-hmm. on and there, there was kind of a, a resurrection in that was, was consoling even in the midst of right. tragedy. Um, so, yeah, desolation, but also good, good consolation in that. So, thank you for sharing that, Ashley. Yeah, of course. <laughs> All right, credits time. Jesuitical is brought to you by American Media and produced by Eloise Bondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson, Jesuit Formation provided by Eric Sundrup, S.J., engineering by Antonio Delaware Bruce. Our logo is by Sean Tripoli. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show and please subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Uh, please do really leave us a review. We gave you the instruc- instructions last week so you don't have an excuse anymore. And shout out to B. Rose 1993, Monty the Monarch, C. Monic, Weekend Runner VVM, and K. Sankowski. And Andrew Jornus. <laughs> you guys make these names really hard to read. <laughs> and send us your questions, feedback, cocktail recipes, and tell us where you found God this week at Jesuitical at AmericanMedia.org. For American Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Olga Segura, and we will see you next week.